This is Gulf Coast Life. I'm Mike Canary. Thanks for joining us. When Hurricane Ian made landfall last September along the southwest Florida coast, it brought a storm surge of at least 14 feet, completely inundating all of the area's barrier islands and causing widespread damage throughout southwest Florida and beyond. Today we're getting a firsthand account of the storm's impact on Estero Island and the town of Fort Myers Beach and its residents and business owners. Bill Veach is a member of the town council and a resident of Estero Island. He's lived there with his wife in an old beachfront cottage for 13 years. It was one of many structures completely washed away by Hurricane Ian. I spoke with him earlier this week about their storm experience and how the rebuilding process is going so far and how this storm is invariably going to change the character of the island. Bill, welcome to the show and thanks for coming in. Well, thanks for having me. So for starters, just a bit of background. How long have you lived on the beach? About 13 years. We were one of the ones who moved to Florida during the um, the housing crisis, and uh, was we got some house that was affordable then. We probably wouldn't buy now. Uh, how long have you been a member of the town council? A little over three years. So coming up on three years. So I've got another year and a half or, or two years to go. Was public service something always on your agenda, or did you just kind of feel like you needed to pitch in? Not really. I mean, I think I've I've volunteered here and there, but uh, my wife suggested I volunteer, which may have been her way of telling me to get out of the house more. <laughs> so um, where were you during Hurricane Ian's landfall? I was in a hotel. My wife and I evacuated with the mayor, the vice mayor, um, some of the town staff, uh, the town manager to um, a hotel, the Cannibal Suites, over by the uh, hospital. Uh, you were watching it presumably on TV as long as you could and maybe listening to the radio. I mean, how did you sort of track what was going on or did you have, you know, assets on the ground that could tell you things? Um, You know, it was such a chaotic time. We were there, we were watching TV for a while and we lost power. We had to evacuate the the first and the fourth floor of the hotel and scrunch down to other rooms. The uh, cell phone went out. Uh, The only way we could really communicate was intermittently by text messages and a lot of those didn't go through. Fortunately, our town manager seemed to have better luck with his phone than mine. But we were in the dark. There was probably everybody who was watching TV knew more about what was going on on Fort Myers Beach than the leadership of Fort Myers Beach at hmm. the time. How much personal prep work did you do, you know, for your property or your possessions in advance of Ian? We thought we went over the top. We uh, we took carpets and put them on top of tables and chairs. We put guitars on top of carpets. We just stacked things up to get them off the floor. Our anticipation at the time we left was maybe a little bit of water in the house. And uh, just, we thought we'd be mucking the place out when we came back. Describe your house and how high off the ground it was. Our house, we sit, I think the elevation of the ground below our house is like five feet elevation. We're beachfront. Um, We're on like three foot pilings, uh, which gets us up around the eight foot mark. Uh, It's an old house. It was like three old cottages put together. And we found newspapers in the wall from 1932, hmm. which were really interesting reads because that was a that was a very turbulent time in the world, 1932. And um, and the the main section of the house had these gorgeous old Florida pine floors. There were different um, width panels, you know, boards, and they had dowel patterns in them for like lotus. Had like five lotus patterns in them. It had the you know the the uh, the kind of vaulted ceilings of the day. Uh, it was just an absolutely gorgeous old house. Three feet pilings on five feet elevation in modern day parlance is not very high. Were you fully aware of the risks that you might face in a house like that? Yes. I mean, I'm not one to deny risk, um, but I, I understand risk and will accept it. I guess I'm 
I've always been a bit of a risk taker, but I always understood the risk. But I also was felt confident by the fact that I was in a house that was 90 years old. You know, it had been through a lot of storms. It had been through Donna. Yeah, and I, you know, sometimes you don't know because you know those old cottages get moved around a lot. They get barged and set up here and there. So I'm really not sure how long it was there, um, but we do at least parts of it were 90 years old. What happened to it? Um, th- well. There's a little more of a two-part story there because in five years ago, we built an addition to it. And the addition had a room over the garage where I put toys. A very tall room. Very tall room. It was built 15 feet above the um, the mean high tide, which was about uh, 10 feet over the garage floor. And um, and the room, was we, we felt that was pretty secure. Built to modern codes, overbuilt, if anything. The old house um, took the brunt of the storm. And it, a lot of it washed through the garage, but it just disintegrated. We found bits of our house um, three blocks away in the last house before the bay. We looked for things like that old floor with the dowel patterns, thinking that if I found that, I could cut out a section and incorporate it in a new, new design. Uh, we couldn't find it. I'm guessing most of the house is in the back bay. Um, we did find another part of our house in the back of someone's yard a block away. Um, but there was nothing left but pilings and just boards and that are held together by house wiring, that kind of thing. Now, do you remember, you know, what, what you experienced, uh, you know, internally when you finally made it to where your house was and saw what was left? Well, you know, first the tricky part was getting out of the hotel. Um, the Everybody who was there, at least all the town councilors who were there, lost their house. Out of five of us, four of us lost their house. I think um, maybe everybody lost a car too. So I had a truck that was in the high part of the parking lot. It was running. So day one, I took the town manager onto the, uh, on the island and he was, he wanted to get to town hall and get to work. We got there, I got one property past Lenny Kai and with my four wheel drive truck, couldn't go any further. It was not even close. There were power poles, there were houses, cars, you know, power lines, bits of debris everywhere. The whole, it was impassable. Terry Street. So we got out and walked, um, left the town manager. He was busy trying to text messages on his phone to mobilize people. We walked with uh, with his wife down to our house. And it wasn't, didn't take long before he realized that it wasn't a good situation because all the houses that were similar, all the old beach cottages were gone. Even much bigger houses were gone. We ran into some friends of ours who were staying at the island down by the, um, the Diamond Head. And actually one couple, the friends of ours, they just, they were doing their, having their honeymoon there. And uh, this was their honeymoon eve or honeymoon, you know, day kind of thing. So they were, um, you know, they were kind of wandering out of the hotel shell-shocked. We were wandering down the street shell-shocked. You know, I ran into um, Dan Allers, who was another councilman at the time, riding his bicycle with bottles of water in his basket because it's, you couldn't get around any other way. You know, it was, it was that, that's the way the whole island looked. So we weren't surprised when we got to our house. We were kind of happy that the garage was still standing, um, but not too surprised that the rest of the house was gone. Did you have flood insurance on the uh, the old house? We had no insurance. Mm. We had nothing at all. Um, and the reason was, you know, part of my philosophy is if you can if you can afford the risk, then don't get the insurance. Um, and the coverage, I wasn't that impressed with the coverage in our situation for the uh, flood insurance. Plans to rebuild? Same place? We plan on it. We're working through it. It's complicated. You know, I think that Florida building codes are very strict. And the closer you get to the water the stricter and the more complex they get. And you're what? I, I, we were out there last Thursday, so you're what, you know, 150 yards, 100 yards from the water at, at medium tide? Yeah. And, the, you know, of course, the house was had, took up half that space. So, you know, the house was very close. Hmm. Um, 
how high was the storm surge? What are the official estimates that have been provided? USGS says in the around we were uh, mid to high 13 foot range. Like I think I saw 13.6 or 13.8. Now the storm surge is usually not measured in the V zone. In the V zone, for those that don't know, it's the area right close to the beach where they say you get velocity effects from wave action. So it's much more destructive um, than other zones. So they usually don't take those kind of readings in the V zone because you need a static water line. Mm. So you get into a house where it's it's still standing and they'll, they'll, they'll look for the leaf line, which is like a bathtub ring, and they measure that and then that's where they get their calculations from. And your, uh, your garage, your super tall garage was, everything on the bottom was completely washed through. Did upstairs receive any damage or, or from wind or anything? A little bit of water, I mean, on the landing um, at that level. I mean, because the, the water drove up the stairs did some damage in the first landing. There's another, another small landing. There's a bit of a sheen of some, you know, kind of, um, kind of a, I don't know what you got, like a, like a silt mm-hmm. that was up there. I saw a couple little spots inside, but everything inside was fine. The windows and doors still worked. Um, carpets weren't wet. Um, everything was in pretty good shape. You know, I mentioned I, you know, I went out there on Thursday with a fellow WGCU staffer. I wanted to be able to see the beach with my eyes. I hadn't been out there yet before we had this conversation. And, you know, coming over the bridge, um, you know, when you see the what's left of the pier, that was the first like visual bone chilling moment for me because I grew up here. And I was like, wow, the pier's just, I mean, I knew I'd seen pictures, but to see it with your eyes and then to drive down the beach and there's just so many empty lots. That was the other thing that really struck me is just empty lots lining the beach where houses and businesses once were. Um, and I guess my question is, is have you gotten used to that at this point? Is that a silly question? I mean, at some point you kind of start normalizing it, I, I presume. You know, the, the progress has been so amazing over the last three months. And I know that it's, it's a shock to go on the island now. But originally it was even more shocking. I mean, the destruction was just unfathomable. I mean, there was – and then when they started to clean it up, like there'd be a house on the side of the road that was all damaged. And they'd take that away and then you see there's another house behind it. And the usual progression of that is now is some streets, you go down five or six houses and they're all gone because they're all unsalvageable. And even further down, looks like they're still kind of working in the progress. You know, they're, they're going through and trying to figure out what they can do. Because after the initial shock, then a lot of people came to the what's next phase and then dealing with the whole situation, financial, regulatory, you know, how do you, where do you go from here? Uh, the town council building was significantly damaged and is still not occupied, right? It is not occupied, and even they're not they're not letting employees go in the building at all, even to retrieve items. Is the plan to fix it up, or is it going to be a loss? Uh, no, I think it's it's considered substantially damaged in the lingo, which means that you can't repair it under the fifty percent rule by FEMA because those rules apply to everybody, government. Businesses, residents, everybody. Explain again for our listeners what the 50% rule is. The 50% rule, it's a FEMA rule saying that if your structure is damaged and will cost more than 50% of the value of the structure, not the land, the structure, that you have to raise it to the modern flood levels. And a lot of houses cannot be raised. If they're at grade on block, they're probably not going to be raised and they're just have to be torn down. Where is the town council working from? Uh, there's the adjacent property used to be a Topps grocery store, which you probably remember. Mm-hmm. Um, that was bought by the fire department. Uh, the, the grocery store was raised, and right now we are in trailers on the pad where the grocery store used to be. Raised meaning torn down. Yes. Hmm. Um, 
Is it known with certainty how many people died because of Ian on the beach? I've heard officially there used to be 14 two um, missing, and they found those two. So that would be 16. I've heard anecdotally they some people think there's more. Um, there may have been visitors, um, people who aren't, you know, some more transient people who are not really verified to be on the island at the time. Do you have a sense of how many homes or businesses or just structures were completely destroyed? Uh, well, I think they said like 90% of the structures were significantly, well not, I don't use significantly because that's a very technical term, right. but were damaged. Um, and I'm kind of surprised that it wasn't 100% because every, the entire island was overwashed. Uh, my guess would be more than the single family homes took the brunt of it. Uh, a lot of the condos got damaged significantly. And some of those beachfront, they lost a lot of their elevators or electrical systems, uh, air conditionings. So it's taking them quite a while to get back up and running. But the single family homes take the brunt of it. And I would be surprised if, if um, it was less than the majority of houses that were destroyed. Um, do you have a sense of you know what percentage of business owners and homeowners had flood insurance? I don't know those statistics. I, you can almost tell, though, by going around, basically people who had insurance, there's a significant lag in the insurance process. Three months later, people are still haggling with the insurance companies. You know, like a, a typical thing is I have a neighbor who they had significant flood damage and they're going to have to tear down their house, but the roof was damaged. So the flood people say, well, the water only went this high, so roof damage is going to be by wind. And they go to the wind insurance people and they say, no, that's flood. And so they're both pointing fingers at each other and they're trying to get all this resolved. This one friend of mine, he's dealing with insurance companies, he's dealing with his bank, he's dealing with the SBA, he's dealing with FEMA. And it seems like every time he gets his ducks in a row, they move the ducks around. Hmm. So he's been working through it slowly, trying to figure out how he can do it. And he's one of these guys where it's not a slam dunk. Building a house, the modern code is expensive. Um, so he is working on going through the process to see if he even can afford to rebuild. From the people you've talked to, and I don't know if you've dealt with this directly, but how do you think uh, the FEMA SBA process has played out for most people on the beach? You know, I, I, it's a it's a find the same friend I was talking about. He told me that after Charlie, that FEMA went door to door and basically said, if you have flood insurance, um, then you know you deal with that and then come talk to us. But if you didn't, then FEMA just cut you a check. Um, I've heard from quite a few people that if they didn't have insurance, that they just got some money from FEMA. Now, not a lot. Yeah, it's some not. Money yeah, I, we've talked to FEMA. It's not a lot. It's not. You know, it's nothing like making you whole, like not even a small no. fraction of that. And, and you know, even the combination of everything, if you have the SBA and FEMA and, uh, you know, every every tool you can have, you're not going to be made whole. There's just not that much money to be able to do that. Do you have a sense of um, whether some people are deciding to not rebuild, you know, even if they have that as a financial option to maybe just say, you know what, I'm going to we're going to pull up stakes and go live somewhere else? Yes. I have known some people, um, either they just don't want their risk anymore, or a lot of people are older. I mean, that's the demographics of our island. And they're looking at the future saying, do I want to spend two, three years dealing with rebuilding for however long I'm going to want the house after that? I'd like to take a moment to reintroduce my guest. Bill Veach is a member of the Fort Myers Beach Town Council. His home right on the beach was washed away by Hurricane Ian, and he's been working personally and with the town council and fellow residents of Estero Island to begin the long process toward rebuilding after Ian devastated the island and destroyed many homes and businesses. If you would like to engage with the show about today's show or any of our episodes, just find us on Facebook or on Twitter. Um, this is really going to change the character of the island, isn't it? It will. I think it's inevitable. Um, I think both both by ownership, you know, like the demographics we were talking about, the people who 
it's a stretch for them to afford to rebuild and or the older people on the island. They're kind of the backbone of the island. A lot of them are the volunteers. They're the ones that are really active in the town, and they're the ones that most of us know as friends and neighbors. Any really old buildings survive that are notable that you can think of? I have a good friend, and she's got a house from the 20s. I think it would be like a fisherman's cottage, and she is managing to rebuild um, under the 50% rule. That You know, it's she wasn't on grade, so it was above, you know, it was on still just a couple of feet. And she was not on the on the V zone. She was back a little bit. So she was covered with debris. She had someone else's house in her front yard, someone else's house in her street in front of her front yard. And then ironically, underneath that house was my kayak. So it was a mess. Um, I think it'd be fair to say that the beach already had an issue with workforce housing prior to Ian. Um, this is going to make that even worse going forward, I presume. You know, and it, a lot of it depends on what our council does and, and how um, how dedicated we are to it. Because, as they say, where there's chaos, there's opportunity. So there's a lot of building back going on. We're um, at the meeting today. Council seems pretty set on trying to make it as easy as possible for people to rebuild. Um, Our town codes are only one part of what it takes to rebuild. There's a lot of different agencies that have, have their foot in the door, so to speak. You know, I was thinking about it. Um, you know, if, if even fewer people who work on the island are unable to live on the island, as you are aware, driving to and from the island, especially during season, can be a real issue. And I was just trying to imagine if, you know, if a, a majority of people who work on the island were going to have to try to get there and leave every day, that seems just not, a, not it seems untenable. Well, I think that's largely where we are now. I mean, even before the storm. Right. Um, it's, you know, it, you've already got that problem. Yeah. I know it can be compounded, you know, as we're rebuilding because there's going to be a lot of construction vehicles and a lot of ones that move slow or, you know, need to be stopping traffic, this kind of thing. Now, what I'm a big proponent of is coming up with a workforce housing program, kind of similar to Sanibel, where they have, I think it's 120, 130 units, I could be wrong, that they've, but they've been doing this for 60 years. And it's already pretty expensive on the island. So funding is, is a bit of a trick. Um, I supported town council coming up with the short-term rental fees to try to put some money in an account so we can start to look at acquiring some workforce housing property. The town probably won't own it very long. It'll probably come up with a housing entity as soon as we get some momentum to, like Sanibel, to give that with and then enter into a contract with that entity to provide workforce housing. Seems like you probably have to find existing homes or buildings to do that because, you know, it's going to be very expensive to rebuild, especially now. There's a number of ways to do it. One is just, you know, like you said, acquiring property and building it. Sometimes they say you can buy land and then work with the developer. Um, that your contribution is a land, the developer is the housing, come up with something. The other thing is you can you can uh, use density bonuses or height bonuses to give people an incentive. And if they are allowed to put more density in, then some of that density is workforce housing. What is the future of the Fort Myers Beach School? It was destroyed? Um, no. Well, you know, it's it's actually fared fairly well in some ways. The old, it's, it's like I guess sometimes we don't learn too much from our past, but the older building, the first building, was set higher than the others. Hmm. I understand it was flooded. There's damage, but they're working through it. The uh, It's a historic structure, so that there's a little more, you know, a nuance to it to work through it. Um, but our, our population has been, our uh, school body size has been dropping a little bit. And um, we're unique in some ways, so there's been some very spirited conversations with the school board. Uh, the school board has the ability to control our student body size by changing the, um, they call it proximity area or the catchment area where the students come from. 
and um, grade sizes and allow the town to be part of school choice so that people can choose to come to the school. Um, those are all that's on the table. But I was recently doing a little research, and the between the 2010 census and the 2020 census, our island lost like 12.5% of its population. Um, and this is at a time when we were in building, still from Charlie. So it's not like there's less housing. There's actually more housing, but there's less people living there. I know this is a hard question, but I feel like I have to ask it, um, you know, especially after this storm where we've seen, you know, in the modern times with our own eyes what Mother Nature can do. Do you think, you know, living on the beach or any of our barrier islands is a truly long-term thing that we should be doing, you know, especially if, you know, people are predicting these storms will become more frequent. I don't know if that's true or not, but, you know, if, if the whole island could be under 15 feet of water suddenly one day, it seems like a tough combination. Well, I think that, you know, part of the answer in that, and you've seen it was my house, right, the old house, and there's a lot of old houses, and those old houses were there because there hasn't been a storm of this magnitude in a long time. So they were allowed to be there. Um, but now when this, when this storm came through and my house was point blank, we're talking on the beach, mid-island, mid-island where the biggest storm surge was, and the garage that was built to code five years ago is perfectly fine. So I think we have the ability to build in a way that, that can withstand these storms. It's expensive because, you know, ironically enough, there's a lot of concrete that goes into these buildings, and concrete is one of the contributors to um, greenhouse gases, which gives the storm more fuel. So um, there, there's is definitely not a, uh, a an easy solution, but it's an expensive solution. But I think we have proven that we can build houses that can withstand these kind of storms. Yeah, because your house is really tall. I saw it with my own eyes. It's like it's it's impressively tall. And apparently, I'm being told now it's too short. That there's uh, that the, the houses that were built next to us are four feet taller than ours. Um, how is the collective spirit out there on the island, would you say, from, from what you've experienced? Um, it is a lesson in kind of psychology to see how different people are reacting to the situation. I know that me and my neighbors, who were um, one of the best things about being on the island, honestly, they're really a great group. We get together fairly regularly, and we're closer than ever um, after going through this. Uh, some people are just very anxious. There's some displaced anger. There's even people who initially started out this program just even though they lost everything just helping other people and they're starting to get a little irritable about the whole thing because just things that take so long you know and people want to get back home you know um when we were out there visiting you have the little contraption if i can use that word set up where you're slowly but surely sifting sand to get the bits and pieces out of it um, and that seems like a pretty good metaphor for the whole thing. Like right now, just a bunch of people doing every little thing they can just to try to make forward progress and, you know, get the debris out of the sand. It's amazing how much is in the sand, too. And even what you find after, I mean, doing this for weeks and weeks. And what I have is a little vibrating sifter. So you, you basically throw sand in there. It's like the big ones you see, although it just whatever fits through comes out one shoot. Whatever doesn't goes to the other, gets the big pieces. Um, but then you see... Lots of small pieces to get into that. Uh, I'm trying to make our sand so we can maybe someday walk barefoot in our yard again. Um, there's so much glass. And even on the beach, I had a constituent give me a bag full of like screws and nails that he picked up from sand that was recently sifted by the of the big operation. And I was downtown where there was the sand and found a little piece of very sharp glass. People are running around barefoot. Um, I, you know, I think it'd be a while before it's really safe 
to be running around barefoot on the beach. I think there's a lot of debris, a lot of sharp debris out there. And there's also maybe some chance of infection from the water if you do get a cut. So it's uh, the whole island is a construction zone, and the beach is not that much different. And we are in season, and there are some people out on the beaches. Presumably some are tourists, right? A lot of them are. Um, there was a time I was talking to a reporter downtown. She said someone came up to her and said, what happened here? So a lot of people have no idea what, what was going on. Or they come, and once they're to the beach, they don't really look over their shoulder. I have a lot of concerns about people walking around in flip-flops or barefoot, and they're walking over construction debris because you talked about a construction zone. Pretty much the whole island is a construction zone and will be for a while. Any issues um, that you know you guys are facing out there that you want to highlight before I let you go that I haven't thought to bring up? You know, Fort Myers Beach is unique. I, I personally, as a town councilor and as a resident, really want to preserve that as much as possible. I want to help people um, stay on the island. And um, when I first came on the island and I saw my house, that was a little bit distressing. But then I went out and went around looking for friends I knew who might be on the island. And when I found them to be okay, honestly, there was more joy in that than there was sorrow for my stuff. You know, stuff is stuff. People are people. I think we're a very strong community. I hope that the uh, people can afford to, to stay there. And if you do come to the island, just please be respectful. Understand that there's work going on. Uh, don't drive really slow and stop work trucks from getting where they need to be. Park in official spots, not just on somebody's yard. I've seen people get stuck on someone's yard. And just be mindful that there's a lot of debris everywhere. All right. Well, I want to thank my guest. Bill Veach is a member of the Fort Myers Beach Town Council and a resident of Estero Island. Bill, thank you for coming in to share your story. And let's make this the first of a series of conversations with both you, officials, and beach residents as you guys rebuild. Watch us rise. Our show today was produced by yours truly. Our director today is Jared Gonzalez. Our social media coordinator is Tara Calligan. For now, thank you for listening. I'm Mike Canary. This is WGCU-FM, Fort Myers 90.1, WMKO Marco Island 91.7 FM, NPR for Southwest Florida.